Welcome to this week's Up the Poly, your award-winning podcast for North Shield Poly. Um, this week, it's a um, it's another interview, uh, just a one-to-one, uh, with Stuart Lee. And Stuart uh, got in touch with me to um, to ask if he could be the feature on a podcast. Stuart's part of the um, part of the coaching setup at the Poly. He also does the website. And um, I don't know, Stuart would never met, um, but he'd heard some of the other podcasts, some of the other speakers, and felt that he had a story to tell, but also encouragement to give, perhaps for to other people, both on the coaching side, but also on the, let's put it in the draw labelled, um, getting over setbacks, and boy has he done that all his life. So a really compelling tale. And um, I was really grateful for Stuart to reaching out and um, giving me a part of his Sunday. And we've recorded the next episode of the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, it was really pr- real pleasure to speak to him. And, uh, you know, phew, fair play, Stuart, given the journey you've been on. And thanks for your contribution to the poly. Much appreciated. Enjoy the episode. Bye. So this week I'm with Stuart Lee, who uh, has got in touch with me Um are about doing a podcast having listened to some of the others and Stuart's part of the coaching setup at the poly but um and I no doubt will have things to say about coaching but he's got a hell of a story to tell about his his life um things that have happened to him and how running has become a part of that so there's, there's an awful lot to explore here but let me start by saying hi and introducing Stuart hi Stuart hi Mark so thanks for this it's I love it when people come forward. Um, it just makes this podcast lark so much easier. Um, so tell, tell us a bit about how, how you're involved with the poly and, uh, and then we can get into your story and how perhaps the poly, how your involvement with the poly fits in with that or has, has added to that. Yeah, sure. So I joined the poly pretty much at the start of the start of the pandemic. So sort of March, 2018. Um, and that's, Part, partly the reason why most of the people in the club probably have never seen me or, or, or met me at the club. Um, I've only really been back at the club um, in a physical capacity for the last sort of two months to three months, um, really. Um, basically avoiding coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll go, we'll, I'll go into that with yeah. my medical history. People will suddenly start to realise why, <laughs> you know, <laughs> me, me getting it isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, um, but yeah, so, so I joined um, with the aim really um, of, I've coached adults or university aged um, people. Um, so I'm currently the endurance coach for the Newcastle um, University team. Oh. Um, as well as, uh, as as a coach at the Poly, hmm. um, but I came I came up to the northeast in, at the end of 2017, having lived in Coventry, um, and uh, I joined Gateshead initially um, in the summer of 2018, um, and then came across the came across to the Poly about 18 months after that. Um, so, but I also, for those people on the technical side or people doing other stuff, I also look after the Poly website as well. Oh, um, so, you got, uh, so you, yeah. you got stuck in then. I mean, you didn't hang around. I got stuck, stuck, stuck <laughs> right in. Yeah, well, well, not being there from a, in, in a physical capacity, but having the skills. I, I, my, my profession is a, a graphic designer. 
Um, so, uh, so um, I don't build websites. I'm more on the design side, but I do have an understanding of the, the logistics of um, of the program that's used um, on the on the Poly website, and that's that's how I got involved really with with that. So updating the pages, updating results, all that that sort of stuff. So people will have seen changes on the on the mm. website i'm sure in the last six months um and uh it's myself with that's um that's me yeah oh, well thank so, you for saying well, no that's all right and um, and, a bit of, and you're coaching so you're you coach you typically coach adults or young adults is that, yeah, is that your niche so, yeah, I so um, so I qualified as a UKA coach doing level one and level two at uh, probably about 2010, 2011. Um, and um, I was coaching at um, an adult road running club. Um, so an over 18s road running club, which at the time had probably about 120 members. Um, when I left, it had about 200. Right. Um, so, and I effectively became head coach there because there were a few other guys who, who'd done level one. Uh, there was a couple of guys that did level two, but they weren't really that active. Mm. Um, so I would go out and lead groups on a Monday night on the long run. I would put on uh, circuit sessions. Uh, we used to hire a hall and do circuit sessions on a Wednesday. Mm. Um, I was leading track sessions on a Thursday. Um, and then I was putting on ad hoc sort of special strength and conditioning sessions and um, circuit type stuff on the weekend as well. So, uh, so yeah, I had uh, quite heavy involvement at the, uh, at the club um, over about, four or five years I also sat on the committee um obviously being sort of the lead coach um I sat on the committee as well so what what strikes me about just listening to that Stuart is that um if you've been coaching at that level and getting involved in those various ways for that amount of time you clearly have a very fundamental interest in running and in runners um where does where does that come from then if because that's a quite a lot of commitment and I mean it's a very generous use of your time and skills over a yeah. period in lots of different clubs so where does that stem from there's a, there's got to be a, a a sort of genesis of that somewhere so it goes right the way back to running effectively being the only sport that I'm allowed to do right. um, and yeah. that goes back to that goes back to a medical Medical so what, conditions. What, what a smooth segue that was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go um, on. No, 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 no. So, so I was um, I was diagnosed at six months old um, with a condition called um, hydrocephalus. Um, it's more commonly known as water or fluid on the brain. Um, and I have a, a, an artificial drainage tube um, known as a shunt that drains fluid away from my brain. Um, <laughs> And the, the reason with the condition is that the, the ventricles in the brain aren't open enough. So the pathways for the brain fluid, which effectively grease the brain, right. um, some of those are closed off. So I get fluid without, without this, without the shunt, I get fluid buildups, um, which can cause quite, quite sort of tremendous headaches. I can um, imagine. Yeah, don't get them so much now. I used to have them an awful lot as a child. My, my, my childhood was... So that was diagnosed at six months. Um, I had two lots of brain surgery. Um, my poor parents, um, oh. you know, they... It was, it was discovered at a clinic, um, baby clinic, as, as anybody who's a parent will, 
one yeah, day, you know, I'm just thinking, baby goes to the clinics and yeah. that sort of stuff. And um, my mother knew that something wasn't right from probably about three months. Right. Um, the fontanelle at the back of the head didn't seem to be closing over properly. And, you know, for anyone who's watched Alien Nation back in the day, um, I think the back <laughs> of my head probably looked a little bit like <laughs> that. Is a, um, that is a top class reference. I'm liking that. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, some, of the younger, some of the younger members of the club probably don't remember that. No, program, no I'm sure so. my age as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, so, so she knew, um, but my parents had such a battle such a battle trying to, trying to find out yeah trying to trying to trying to say that something was wrong my mother my mother was called neurotic on numerous occasions you know um you know it was you know i, I, I was obviously a baby I didn't, yeah. I didn't know any of this until later in my life but um so they had a real battle um and it took one day at a clinic um one of the nurses looking through my eyes and she saw something that wasn't supposed to be there and oh, my mother says basically she went as white as a sheep and she said i can't tell you what's wrong but you need to go to hospital um so at that at that time i don't think they were allowed to to say you know they, they, weren't, they weren't qualified enough to say what they thought it might be so yeah. um so they had to um they had to refer it on yeah. anyway we got up to the hospital saw another doctor um and that doctor said that basically i um had a brain cyst in my head um and they had to x-ray me because back in uh 1978 uh there's no such thing as a brain scanner um so uh so they had to x-ray me um and basically came out of it they said it's not cancerous but it's there um and if we don't get this fluid off his brain um he's got about six weeks goodness me so as a parent I'm, uh, I'm just, yeah so I'm I'm trying to imagine what that felt like for your parents but i can't you know that's just horrendous so presumably then they went and did some i imagine fairly brutal surgery yeah got in there got the shunt in there, got in there. um <laughs> Drain the fluid off, drain the fluid off my brain, mm. um, and uh, yeah, and that was that was me then really, and uh, I was okay then um, yeah. up until I was up until I was six months old, uh, until I was um, six years old. Um, you know, I was I was a normal child. You wouldn't really have you wouldn't really have known any any difference. You know, yeah. obviously I was protected in terms of bumps to the head and all that sort of stuff did you have um, the drain the drain thing going on at this point or did yes yeah it was fitted it six months i had two two lots of brain surgery at six months to fit it yeah um, um yeah uh, and then it uh, as i say at, at six years old i started to get tremendous headaches right. i mean i would get headaches anyway yeah but these were these were excruciating headaches um really really not not pleasant at all um six as well yeah i I was fortunate i was already under a brain surgeon then so we didn't have the battles that we had at six months old um but they got me in uh at that time they then got ct scanners this was sort of 1983 so yeah they've got ct scanners so they scanned me and um found out i'd got a golf ball sized brain tumor bloody hell 
Um, and that one was growing right. quite dramatically at quite a, at quite a rate. Um, hence the headaches. Yeah. Um, bearing in mind that I'd still got cyst in there as well. Oh, so this um, was an additional thing. It wasn't a, a variation on no, the cyst, already had. The cyst, I still, I, I'm, I'm 44. The cyst's still there now. Right. Um, the cyst the, the size of a tennis ball. So the back right portion of my brain is about the size of a pea. Um, oh, so when I used to get called pea brain at school, I didn't really have an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I suppose it was a bit harsh, I think. Um, um, so, right. But, yeah. so they found this tumour uh, when you were six years old. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so I had this, had this tumor, um, the cyst that I've got and the tumor that I had, um, are very rare. Mm. Um, so they're, they're around 1% of all childhood, um, sort of cysts or, or yeah. tumors. Um, that occur together or does having them both make, is that an unusual combination as well as them being inherently unusual? Uh, Oh. you can you can get them it's it's unusual to have them together right um, so the, it's not causal then it's not one one is a is a predictor of the other no no so no, you're just they, pretty they unlucky then when it comes to the yeah. old head department yeah Bloody yeah hell. they uh um so obviously that had to come out as well so so that was that was three lots of brain surgery when i was six years old um but at the time with that they were very, very concerned. Um, mm. It wasn't a it wasn't a cancerous brain tumor. It wasn't. Um, no, no, it wasn't cancerous. Um, but I guess because I'm as here. a non medic, I hear the word tumor and I think of cancer. I'm guessing. Yeah, no, it's benign. Cancerous ones, right? Okay. Yeah, no, it was benign. So, um, mm. and the, the cyst is obviously benign. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you now. Well, I was going to say. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean um so uh for anyone who's a medic in the club um the cyst is um a poronkephalic brain cyst um and the brain tumor that i had removed was choroid plexus papilloma um so as so i say they're very rare right um, childhood, rare benign. Childhood. yeah but, benign both nine but very but, but rare childhood conditions and then benign in the sense that they're not cancer but they're not they're, cancerous but they're not benign in the sense that it causes a whole bunch of things to happen like oh, yeah. headaches and you know that's got to be pretty debilitating not least having three surgeries like that as well so, yeah. so what, what happened to six-year-old you then when all of this you went through all of this trauma where, where did that leave you um, again once the tumor was out it was okay but they didn't know they didn't think that i was going to survive that um they that was diagnosed um around just before christmas time i think um and they my neurosurgeon told my parents to take me home and give me a good christmas right and my mom my mom basically said to him is he gonna see another christmas um and they said we don't know mm. goodness um they literally said we don't know so what year um, is this this is early this is 1983 right so um yeah they they really didn't know um hmm. they'd never seen something like this before where they'd got a tumor that was the size of a golf ball in a six-year-old hmm. and there was already a brain cyst in there the complications of where the tumor was 
at the back of my head going up towards the top of my neck mm. almost behind the cyst really so I had to go round the cyst to get at the tumor so he he was never sure the, the neurosurgeon was never sure yeah. whether he got it all out yeah and obviously if they don't get it all out there's also it's always the potential that it's going to grow again unfortunately um, it didn't um but yeah they they, they really didn't know whether i was they didn't really didn't know whether i was going to see another christmas fortunately um i saw that christmas because i saw it in hospital because yeah. i never made it i never made it that far <laughs> um they uh they had to take it out um yeah. over, over 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 the christmas period so i actually spent christmas in hospital um so yeah um they got it and obviously they it, it, they succeeded but what yeah. were the after effects then of that given that it didn't grow again you had your cysts no what, what i was where did that leave you i was i was fine i was absolutely fine and the headaches went away um and and everything everything seemed fine i just went back to back to school and and everything seemed seemed fine then until uh until i hit 12 years old right um <laughs> so we're going up in sixes um so well I, I was actually 11 at the time um stood in the middle of tesco shopping for school trousers waiting to go to year seven as it is now um so first year of senior school um basically stood there and said to my mom i think my shunt's broke you think you want just got this thing shunt's broke so this oh. artificial drainage tube that i've got I said, I think this is, I think it's broke. Something doesn't feel right. Mm. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just thought something doesn't feel right. Anyway, um, Tesco and Coventry happens to be about 400 yards from the hospital. Oh, right. So we were, so we were straight, straight up the hospital, straight up onto the neurosurgery ward. Um, they said, oh, he's a child. He'll have to go down to the children's unit. Um, so that didn't go down very well because... Uh, <laughs> When my neurosurgeon found out, he uh, he whipped me straight back up to the <laughs> straight back up to the brain surgery unit. He was like, "What's he doing down here?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, no politics, I think, more than anything else. Um, but um, but yeah, um, and they then proceeded to spend the next seven weeks. So I was in hospital for seven weeks, trying to find out why this shunt was broken. And so broken, was it not draining? Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It didn't fit. It didn't seem like it was draining. Something was going on in there. That how did you feel? They, did you feel not right? I at times I didn't know which way up the room was. All oh, right. Um, I was. I was being sick an awful lot, hmm. um, and. The, the crux of that time is that basically over the course of those seven weeks, I had five lots of brain surgery. They went in twice within 24 hours trying to correct whatever this was. They, they couldn't catch it. They couldn't see. And what, what, it, what it turned out was happening was the shunt was buckling. Buckling. So it was, bu it was buckling in my head. So it was actually, it was actually kinking, almost like kinking in my head. Um, they, 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 but they never caught it happening. Right. Um, so, <laughs> over over the course of that time, they were going in. They were going in blind, trying to look for a problem that wasn't there at the time that they went in. Yeah. Um, which caused which caused a lot of problems. I mean, 
I went from being a healthy 12 year old. Um, I had my 12th, 12th birthday in hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from being a healthy 12th year old to my weight plummeting to three and a half stone. Um, so I couldn't keep food down. Mm. So, but it was very, but it was very strange because I would be sick, and then I would eat my dinner. Yeah, God. which well, is which is like really weird. I've got an eleven-year-old. Uh, all about food vanishing. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that bit I can so, get. Yeah, I'd, I'd be sick, and then and then and then I'd just eat my dinner, and it was it, it was just really strange. It was like it just it had a, it had a problem, and then it corrected itself, and it was all right again but they never caught it. And it was only when they got me on a scanner and they were scanning me, it happened whilst I was on the scanner. And they could see it happen. Stroke of, well, then, do you know what I nearly said then? I said, what's well, a stroke of luck? <laughs> <laughs> it was. For a moment. Yeah, no, it was, it was. It's, um, yeah, so, so basically what, what has transpired off the back of that was that um, I wound up getting meningitis. Oh, no. Um, so I got bacterial meningitis, and I was already very oh, weak. Strikes fear into my heart. Yeah. yeah. I, I was already very, very weak. Um, and I spent a week literally not knowing what way up the room was. It yeah. was it was not great. Uh, my mum had, had seen a... Um, seen the rash and uh, the nurses came in and, and that was it but it was back whereas a lot of meningitis is viral this was mm. uh, bacterial and um, there's some suspicion that i might have had viral as well at the same time but at least, um, you, at least you were aware uh you know they they could recognize it and catch it because i mean there's obviously stories where children get that oh yeah and it's caught yeah. too late and oh you know um no it's it's awful it's a, it's an awful thing it, it, yeah. it, it it's it's the worst pain i've ever been in um, um it's it's horrendous um it, it, as a condition it's it's just not pleasant at all and obviously how do they, how do they treat that Stuart? then you've got this meningitis uh, just just just, just drugs yeah. i don't know what they were treating me with what what i can say is that um, I was in the ICU and obviously over that period of time, doctors used to come and see me. Someone neurosurgeon would call me, he'd have his houseman there, there'd be senior nurses there. They'd, they'd come, they'd come around as an entourage to see all the patients. Um, you know, and they, they, there might be six, seven, eight of them. Um, my mum said that when I had meningitis, um they uh she reckons there was probably somewhere between 25 and 30 people in the room right and a lot of them were wearing white coats yeah i guess um is that because it was meningitis or is that because it was meningitis plus all the other things that were going on i'm assuming i think it was probably meningitis plus all the other things plus we don't know and you know (laughs) but the reason the reason the reason scientists as opposed to doctors come to see patients is probably because you're having some sort of a drug that <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably is probably isn't commonly available yeah so. if i learn i guess yeah well yeah um so we don't know whether i was they were trying all sorts to try and to try and help my condition mm. um you know and, and some of it probably wasn't stuff that they would normally use uh, i'm sure we say 
So, but we've never we've never known that. That's that's complete speculation. But the fact that you know you have a, that many people yeah. coming to see your child on a ward round, yeah, it's not it's not really a heard of thing. So you were getting you were getting some possibly experimental cocktail of of drugs whilst absolutely no idea but yeah <laughs> there's there's a possibility <laughs> um, you know at least a plausible theory hard to know but whatever yeah. happened you you're sat here now so presumably yeah um plenty of mcdonald's beef burgers <laughs> say again that's plenty of mcdonald's beef burgers oh that's how that transpired he, he <laughs> no my neuro my neurosurgeon literally said after i'd had the meningitis to get my weight back up if oh. he wants a beef burger, if he if he wants a beef burger or he wants a McDonald's, the nurse needed to go out and get one. <laughs> oh, it was. I was eating beef. They had to get my weight back up. Yeah, three and a half stone at three and a half stone at twelve is not. Yeah, uh, not okay. great. So. The McDonald's weight gain diet plan. Well, McDonald's weight gain plan. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Nutritionists wouldn't advise it, but there you go. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll say it now. I think you deserved it. <laughs> I mean. Whatever you think of McDonald's when you're 12, um, when you're 12 and it's the 80s, McDonald's is this, you know, it's 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 the treat, isn't it? Or a treat. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Fair definitely. enough. So you went on that regime then. <laughs> <laughs> Experimental drugs, uh, McDonald's weight gain. And uh, was that it? Was, I don't know, was, it, was that Yeah, it? Came, out, came out the other side again. Yeah. Um, I missed an awful lot of what is termed now year seven um so um so i only really saw i think i went back to school in february on almost like a phased sort of thing um from memory um but i only really saw the whole of the summer term that year Mm. um so after so so after easter um and obviously after easter um was running season athletic season oh right um so so what they found was that um when i when i got back and uh they stopped me they had a grass running track at the school um and i went out and it was a pe session um and obviously everybody else had been there and had been doing probably cross country and doing their rugby and their football in the winter whilst i'm still in hospital and um and basically rugby was not on the list you know uh, no no so so yeah to to go to that no contact sports so so basically no rugby no football um they were the winter sports yeah uh, then you're looking at so in the summer there was uh, i couldn't play cricket um i couldn't play hockey i couldn't play softball um indoor sports i was all right playing badminton but i couldn't play squash because it's in a confined space yeah um with the risk of getting hit um what i'm what so, i'm to this though Stuart, forgive me is that the fact that you were looking for us for sport you were obviously quite sort of sporty in the sense that one of the considerations here is what sport can i play i mean yeah. some 12 year olds who've been through what you've been had been through at that time might not be thinking about sport at all so presumably there's something in you that wants to do sport but when you've been sick yeah i think how well i think Mm. I think it was a I think it was a release. Nice. I think it was a looking a looking to do something. You know, I was I was an active child. Um, even with all my conditions, I was a I was a very active child. Yeah. Um but 
I wanted to do something and they, they, they stuck me on this track on this PE session and I just ran and it was an 800 meters. Yeah. So two laps of the track. Um, and after 400 meters, I was 75 meters ahead <laughs> of everybody else. Well, yeah. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to run an 800. <laughs> absolutely, don't... absolutely treading water in the last 100 meters. <laughs> came, came, came third. Um, but, but, uh, but, they then they then looked at that and uh, the, the teachers that were there, the games teachers that were there, and and they looked at that and went, hold on, this guy's been through all this, this yeah. guy's been through all this, and and he can run like that. There's 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 something there. So um, that your teachers picked up on that, you know. I mean, yeah. that's great. You know, rather than thinking about all the things you couldn't do, which of which there was quite a long list. Um, yeah. Yeah, here, here, here's a bunch of teachers thinking. Well, actually, what, you know, there's a there's a phrase in some of my work when we talk to people that are struggling in life and they get assessed about all the things that are wrong with them, and and we prefer to say what's strong rather than what's wrong. And that feels it just reminds me of that. That's all. Just as, I know it's a slightly glib phrase, but that yeah, that to me like what happened to you? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I never felt railroaded into running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's it was one of those things. That, oh, actually, I'm I'm not too bad at this. Yeah, you know, in, in I, I I'd never had comparisons, so I couldn't I couldn't compare myself to what other people had done up until that uh, up until that point. It's quite liberating. And then I, yeah, yeah, it was. It was very liberating, and um, it gave me a sense of confidence. Yeah. Um, at that time. I wouldn't say that I would, I'd never been a I'd never been a confident child. Mm. Um, I don't think my, my parents have never have never said that. Mm. Um, but from the age of twelve, that was when I realised actually I'd got something that actually I was I was quite good at. Um, and yeah, from there, uh, got myself into the cross country team the, uh, later later that year, and then got myself into the. Um, into the athletics team and and that was it and it transpired I went on to um in years what would it be years eight and no years nine and ten mm. uh, now uh went on to run um uh schools uh track at Alexander Stadium in Birmingham um mm. and won bronze and silver there um at uh, at uh, county level um, and went on to run national cross country as well Right, bloody hell. Just just on that, and what I'm curious about is that, you know, right from that in, in sort of initial cross uh, 800 metres that you did and everything else, um, there's, the, the, you know, the teachers and yourself <clears throat> unearthed a talent for it. Um, so, because there's something about realising that you're good at something when you're a kid, uh, which is a great feeling. Um, but... How did it make you feel? Not the being good at running, but the running itself. Was there something in, because I'm not especially talented at running, but I just like how it makes me feel. I just like how it, I feel at the end of running compared to when I'm starting setting off, you know, and, and that's mainly why I do it. Um, you know, did you have that sense when you were a, t- a kid as well, when you'd gone through everything you'd gone through? Did running give you a feeling that you liked as well as the accomplishment? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say I wasn't um, a 
it's a bit of a juxtaposition, but I wasn't massively academic in terms of sciences. Um, my maths was very, very good. Right. Um, I, I actually got into my school because of an entrance exam. It was a private school. I actually got into my school on the strength of my maths. Right. Um, so my maths was very, very good. Um, but I'm definitely more um, sort of art, design, mm. that, that sort of thing. So, and the reasons for that are obviously because of all these conditions that I've got and I've had. The kids are yelling, so apologies for the background. <laughs> They're just having right. outside the door. <laughs> um, because, of, because of that, um, I, I liked doing... I liked making stuff. I mean, every every child plays with the box at Christmas rather than playing with the toy. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone every, everyone does. It still happens now. Um, <laughs> I, lit I, I, I was literally taking all the boxes and making something else. Right. Um, so so I think I had this design trait uh, from quite an early 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 um, age, and uh, and now I work as a graphic designer, so I actually work designing yeah. uh, brochures, websites, that, that sort of thing, so that kind of thing has, has, has always been there, but I wasn't massively academic, I was, my brain works in a, di a, a different way, um, you know, I hasten to say it's, it's wired in a different way, but quite I, I, with the literally, yeah, and the... it's it, it, it struggled with um, subjects like physics. You know, I scraped to see at physics at GCSE. Um, originally, I wanted to be an architect. Mm. Um, the problem with that was that I would design them. They would be absolutely fantastic. They wouldn't stand up for very long. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Paper design, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, yeah, so that was the thing, really. I was... <laughs> I, I was academic, but more in a more in a, a vocational way rather than a, a sort of um, you know really having to retain information and that kind of thing. I, I struggled to retain a lot of a lot of information um, mm. a lot of the time. So subjects like math, you know, advanced maths and physics and that kind of thing. But it but was, comes so just because this has emerged out of a, a question around how it made you feel as opposed to whether you were good at it or not. Uh, and differentiating yeah. your love of running uh, or, or trying to establish whether it was because of one or both of the fact that how it made you feel and that you were good at it. And it's quite interesting that that led, led you to describe how your brain works, you know, the subjects that you were good at, um, that, which involved, I guess, deploying a principle or a, a method rather than having to just retain lots of rote information like you would in some subjects. And so if you're if you're dealing with ways of doing something rather than remembering lots of things, that running's a bit like that, isn't it? You just there's a series yeah. of habits that you just have to know and then you just deploy them each and every time, depending on what distance you're doing and what surface is and all of that. So I guess the way your brain works, if it if it's good at um, rules and principles rather than reams of information then you're going to be drawn to something that's quite episodic, like running, that's, that benefits from good habits rather than retention of lots of stuff. So, And I guess more than most people, you'd be paying attention to how your brain works, given that it's, it's, your, it's, the, it's the central player in this narrative that, that <laughs> yeah. up to this age. So, you know, I'm here, what I'm hearing, and I'm not, I don't know if you're saying it or not, but what I'm hearing is that, you know, your 
your predilections around you know mentally are are particularly relevant to you and is, and there's a particular sort of you know sort of particular sort of um well they play a very massive role and you'll pay particular attention to them given everything that's happened to you so this is this has got you on a a, a train of lots of childhood setbacks to illness through discovering something that 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 works for you in terms of how your brain works and that you are good at and then you achieved all those things I think we got up to your sort of late junior early senior sort of age so I so often um I'm not I don't coach kids and I don't claim to be an expert but I guess anecdotally you can see lots of really talented kids while some might pursue it into adulthood a lot don't um because the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever comes along or, yeah. or other interests or, or whatever or work or, or or you know that this that the other so it did it maintain for you or did it go away and come back it was running a constant for you from this point onwards no no and that was that was down to health again right. uh, because i had i had more surgery at the age of 15 right um, and I had those years between 12 and 15 where I did a lot of running, um, you know, um, but I had surgery again at 15. And after that surgery, I couldn't run without getting a headache. So how come you had surgery at 15? What happened there? Um, more issues uh, with the, the shunt. So what, right. so what basically happened at 12, what happened at 12 was after the meningitis, there was a lot of deliberation as to whether I needed the shunt or not. Oh, so they actually they actually removed it. No, oh. so I didn't have it between the ages of twelve and fifteen. So presumably, but I could, really? but I could do an awful lot of running <laughs> over that time. Um, I got headaches, but not as a result of running. I got headaches as a result of the fact that the shunt wasn't yeah. in my body, which is what happened. Um, so well, yeah, I'm looking at me. really strange. Um, but then. At 15, the headaches had got too much, so I got a new shunt. Yeah. So basically, I had a new shunt at 15. But once I'd put that shunt in, I then couldn't run without getting a headache. Oh, God. <sighs> so my whole athletics career stopped. Right. Completely gone. Um, so A-levels, uh, university, um, you know, I joined a gym uh did did all of that um and um yeah i i didn't run but i just did gym stuff um bit of bike riding um but i think what was happening was every time my foot was hitting the floor when i was running you get a jolt to, slight jolt to the head and and that imbalance that was now in my brain was causing me to get a headache as a result of it so i would stop running and, and get a, a big headache and have to lie down um so that whole freedom that i had yeah with that running as a teenager was suddenly taken away from me it was just gone um couldn't do it um back to that sorry how did you react to that once you, had, um, you can run? yeah it was it was a bit i mean I, there was a lot of stuff going on academically at that point going into going into doing a levels and yeah. and that sort of thing and and then going on to university um so i think that's an upheaval anyway isn't it i remember yeah. being 
15, 18, I remember going to university and doing A-levels and thinking, you know, you're, you're trying to be, you're trying to work out what kind of adult you want to be. And you, you know, you're half child, half adult. And it, it, it's, mm. it's orientating enough, never mind having yeah. this going on. So that's why I was intrigued to how you reacted really. And what it, what it, no, I just, I out. just, I just thought, well, you know, there's other things going on. Um, I think, I think the thing with me is I've learned over my lifetime that basically, um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a saying that uh, um, somebody had said, um, I'd seen it on a TV programme, but I remembered it from, from earlier on in my life, um, that people, human beings seem to like the illusion of stasis. So basically a comfort zone, a, 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 stay, a staying put. Um, and yet they don't, and yet they don't realise that every time they blink their eyes, the ground moves beneath their feet. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a concept that I've had to live with right the way through my life because mm. I don't know at any point whether something's going to happen in my head mm. that's going to change what direction my life takes. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, and I'm, you know, I'm acutely aware of that. Whereas yeah. a lot of people probably don't even think about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think with age, maybe it happens increasingly. But you're doing that at a much younger age, and as you, you, know, you get older, yeah, <laughs> I, I was doing it from I was doing it from twelve years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm nearly fifty, and you start getting that thing where you. Um, aware more acutely aware of your mortality i'll say that but yeah. uh, but but more than that conscious of the fact that um the things that you think are stable often aren't and and, and all of that sort of stuff but you're having to i mean most of us get to understand those things progressively and we we get the resilience and experience to cope with that as we learn it that's what aging is isn't it but you're having to deal with that sort of phenomena at such a young age without all of that experience although you've had considerable amount of experience with that you haven't had you haven't become an adult yet you haven't developed all that resilience and that's got to be difficult and particularly when something that gives you as you said it yourself a release uh, which god knows you need one when you've got all of that going on when that's taken away from you so did we were you able to at least in part replace that with anything or did you um so yeah replaced it replaced it with replaced it with the gym and 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 that sort of stuff um but uh but no not not really um i go to, to go back to when i was 12 mm. um just because it's going to lead on to the next bit um, <laughs> um when i was 12 and i was lying in that hospital bed and i i just recovered from meningitis and i was weighing three and a half stone yeah um there was a snippet of the New York Marathon oh, right. on the TV. On the TV. Um, I think it must have probably it was probably just on a just on a news just on a news story. Um, you know, we didn't have we didn't have Sky or Virgin TV back then, so I wouldn't have been from memory. I wouldn't have been watching the whole of the New York Marathon on British TV because it just yeah. wouldn't have been on. But uh, but there was a snippet of it, and I don't know what the significance of the nineteen eighty nine race was um or why it had cropped up on the tv or whether they they put it on the tv every year or, or or what it was but i'd seen a snippet of it and i'd just off the cuff as a child turned around and said i'm gonna go and run that one day ah right <laughs> and <laughs> my parents were like 
yeah okay the nurses were looking like all right <laughs> we're, not, we're not quite sure you're going to walk again yet <laughs> let alone run yeah. um uh, i had to have a lot of physio at that time obviously yeah. not because of the neurological side of it but just because of the muscle wastage yeah, side of it um, yeah so i spent a lot of time learning to obviously learn to walk before they'd let me back out of the hospital um so so yeah but it never left you then that that little spark no. that, that, no. that sort of was stored away in a bit of your brain that didn't have a cyst or a tumor on it, <laughs> yeah. on it um was there and it and it, i guess it, it it found its place later on we're all waiting for the happy bit now we're all, we're all... <laughs> the happy bit um so tell... yeah so we went from the we went from the the, the gym stuff and all of that and then i had um I had a friend, a good friend, um, and she worked as a, um, a gym instructor and a personal trainer at a, a gym. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd used the university university gym, and that was how I, how I was keeping fit, even though I wasn't running. Yeah. Um, and then I left university in 2000. Um, I joined another um, gym and, and just, did, just, just did basically gym-based stuff. Yeah. Um, and then she, uh, I met her in 2003, um, but she went to a new job um, in 2005. And it happened to be at the gym that I was, I was just become a member at in yeah. 2005. Um, so, and she said, oh, one of the girls does a running club. Um, so uh, she said that, uh, why don't you go out for a run? And I said, oh. I'm running ages, I wanted to get a headache, all that sort of stuff. Went out for a run. It was a, a four-mile jog, wasn't particularly fast. There were there were numerous levels there. Um, just just on the streets around Coventry. Um, and I got back thinking, I'm gonna be lying on a gym mat here, trying to trying to, you know, get my head to function properly. I didn't get a headache. Hmm. I went out the next week, I didn't get a headache. Oh. I was like, what's going on okay. there? Well, something's changed in that decade. Yeah. That 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 decade, something has changed. So something has settled down or changed within my brain that has allowed me to go out for a run and not get a headache. Blimey. So I was like, oh, revelation. Okay. That. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can get back running. Yeah. And it was just like a massive release. It was just a huge, a huge release externally, but for me inside, emotionally, it was- How old were you then to do it? Just trying to- uh, So where are we, 2005? So I would have been 26. Right. So we're talking about a 10 year gap between yeah. having to stop and yeah. being able to start again. Um, and I, I said, I'm going to go and sign up for a race. Um, and I signed up for the Great North. Oh, right. A, recur uh, a recurring star in these series of podcasts. So all sorts of people start there or conquer something by doing it. And, and now here you are. So it, it's got yeah. iconic status, hasn't it, this run? It, it, it has. And even living down in, yeah, yeah, well, living down in Coventry, you know, it was the, the preeminent race yeah, um, in this country. So, uh, so yeah. So I uh, I signed up for the two thousand and six Great North. Um, very emotional, and uh, and went and ran that, and and 
got my way through it and uh, I've done 13 Great Norths now. Would that have been, so, when you did that, would that have been the longest run you'd ever done? Yes. Right. By some distance. Yeah. Bloody hell. I think I'd probably done, I'd probably done a 10k at some point hmm. when I was a teenager. So, um, so presumably then, having more nigh on doubled what you'd ever done before in terms of distance and not suffered as a consequence, did the world begin to feel a bit like your oyster then at this point? Like, well, if I could do this, maybe I can do the, the New York. Is that when that seemed yeah. or did it take a bit of time after that? No, it's, um, that was, so what was that? That would have been, it was slightly later in the year at that time. So I think that was October, the, the yeah. Great North at that time. Um, no, I signed up for the, I, I signed up for the London Marathon in 2007. All right. <laughs> around, man. <laughs> and, did, and went and did London. And the, the thought process behind that was that I wanted to go and do New York, but I actually thought if I'm going to run a marathon, I better run, yeah. run one on this side of the pond and make sure I can actually do it. Yeah. Before Very, I go before I go to New York. Very sensible. I'm liking that. For, for a runner, for a runner who has missed out, that's a remarkably restrained and sensible move. But there we are. <laughs> and presumably that went okay. That went okay. I ran that with a friend. Um, yeah, that was that was good. Um, and then I uh, I ran London again in two thousand and eight. Right. Um, um, and I was due to run um, New York in two thousand and eight as well. Um, and then my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Um, so he had uh, lymphoma. Um, and uh, he's fine. He's, he's still with us. Oh uh, yeah, no, he's, he's still still with us. I can hear him downstairs. Um, but no, he's um, he yeah he 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 survived it. He I think there's about thirty different types of lymphoma, and he had one of the two that have got the best sort of rates of um, being cured. So, mm. but that then as a result of that then meant that I wasn't going to go over to New York in the November because mm. he was ill over the over the summer into the autumn. So. Um, so we had to put New York off um, and uh, I then went and ran New York in 2009 um, and by a quirk of fate, you know, it was exactly 20 years after what I'd seen on the TV. Oh, wow. I'm so I, I actually, I actually, you know, having seen it in 1989 on the TV in the hospital bed, not even knowing whether I was going to be here or not. Um, went and ran New York Marathon in, in 2009. What a time. Um, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled for you, even though it was, <laughs> it was 13 years ago. I'm just, I'm just sort of, because we, what we haven't done before recording this podcast is rehearsed it. So I'm learning this as we're, I know we've had a couple of messages, but I'm kind of devouring this account live and I'm just, yeah, buzzing, I'm buzzing. So, so you did New York in 2009 at long last so yeah um, did was there an element because I, I can't compare it to anything i've experienced but i suppose there's one bit of overlap which is that that idea of really going spending a long time preparing maybe not 20 years but spending a long time preparing for something and then it happening and it being brilliant but there's a there's an anticlimax or there's a bit of a mourning period afterwards where you're not quite sure what to do next or there's a little bit well I miss having that goal did you have any of that or was it onwards and upwards from that point 
I think it. I think it was. There was a little bit of that, but I think it was more onwards and upwards. It was. It was that one's. That one's done. That one's ticked off. Let's see what. <laughs> see, see what else is out there. Brilliant. You know, it was. It was. It was. That to me was a. Um, not to prove something to myself because I'd already ran a marathon um, at London twice prior to that. Um, but it was kind of a, for other people, it was kind of a like, he's finally done what yeah. he off the cuff said he was going to do as a child. Um, so from a family point of view, from doctors who, yeah. who knew the nurses who, who, who still kept in touch and, All right. and, and, and knew me, um, yeah. have, have, have known that I've actually completed the New York. So, I mean, that, that's got to be, I mean, that's got to be fantastic for those those clinicians that, and that helped you through it. You know, the doctors, nurses, surgeons, on that as well, and obviously your family and and yourself. I mean, what what a story! And when we when we before we started recording, we were just shooting the breeze about about this. And um, what you did, one of the things you said was, and I'm paraphrasing, is it was one of the most one of the reasons you contacted me about a podcast was there's a message in all of this about that sort of um that tenacity really um so how has it left you feeling you know what's your takeaway from this experience um in terms of what you know people are listening to this podcast what would you want them to take away from it for me it's it's more um sort of you know if you've got a dream that you want to go out and do something or you think you can go out and do something and then, then go and do it off, off the back of this pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of talk about, um, sort of mental health, anxiety, all, all, all of that kind mm. of thing. And obviously, you know, I've been through that from a medical sort of point of view, but I've never ever thought that I can't go out and achieve something in terms of running. You know, I've had, I've had, barriers put in place you know i'd love to have gone skiing you know mm. just had the winter olympics i'd love to i'd love to go and ski because i'm a really outdoor person mm. so one of the things i just cannot do yeah. um so i'm not allowed to ski i can't go riding a motorbike um not allowed to do that i can't go on the waltzers at the at the fun fair um so i missed out on all of those because of the yeah. g-forces yeah. um not that I'd want to, but I'm not allowed to go jumping out of a plane either. Um, so there's no there's no paragliding, there's no uh, um, jumping out of planes and stuff. So yeah, yeah it's um, you know there are things that I I've been told I can't do, yeah. but I've not had I, I've not necessarily because I've had it from such a young age. I've not had things taken away from me, hmm. um, and I think that's helped me. Whereas a lot of people who've got conditions that I've got, they've probably got it, you know, teenagers as a result of a car crash or a joyride or, yeah. do you know what I mean? They, they, they wind up with the conditions as a result of something like that and their life completely changes. Hmm. Um, and a lot of people wouldn't say that necessarily with everything that I've been through that I've been lucky, hmm. but I've been lucky in terms of the fact that all my stuff has kind of been linear. Well, so, it's interesting that because one of the notable distinctions, I think this is the, uh, again, I, we, we chatted briefly previously, but um, 
the, this is the, I think, 25th or 6th of these podcasts that I've done, and there are various types, and and there is a particular sort of archetype, which is the adversity type, you know, archetype, if you like, and this one is different to the others in as much as, um, I mean, Johnny Hill talked about his heart condition, which which came on relatively recently in, in middle age, and Karen Foster talked about her um, very aggressive um arthritic condition which was sounded utterly debilitating and they've had to you know they've lived a life had an event adapted and come out the other side equally compelling and and, and admirable but they you the, your story is more about how it shaped you rather than how you adapted later you know how it shaped you from being and the things that happened at, at, at three years and then six years and then 12 years and then 15 and then 26 and then later on so you you've had this um incredible ability to it shaped you but it hasn't and whilst there's a long list of things you can't do I don't think it's constrained you from what I'm hearing I'm just hearing I found I found my version of achievement attainment contentment and your mental health um, has, has been what you said pretty robust I mean, you could be excused for it not being, but it's astonishing, really. So it's a hell of a story. And that, yeah, that message of, look, when people are telling you a bunch of things that you can't do, focus on, well, what can you do? And don't let it, don't be stopped. Um, yeah. So it's, it's absolutely astonishing. Um, I mean, you sent me a picture of you when you were um, very like when you, was it the three and a half stone you? Um, that was that was twelve. That was just after Benjoyus. Was that the um, so, diet phase? Yeah. I mean, would you be happy me using that as the image for the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's that's not not a problem. Um, normally, when I post them, I, they, they, we have just the poly. Well, it's a fantastic graphic that Richard Hanley did, uh, the poly thing. But oft, sometimes I'll put a picture up instead, like we did for the one for Holly about coming back running from childbirth. And I just think that picture, which you, which you sent to me, um, I've, I've had that in my head as we've been talking pretty much the whole <laughs> it's been um, because, you know, I've got kids similar age and I'm just thinking about your parents and you and all of that. Um, and it's, it's just wonderful, really, that you've, you know, even though some of it's horrific, um, it's been in, an inspiring listen. And I'd love to have that picture up there just to say, look, it's, it, from this 20 years later, going out and knocking out a very it's not an easy marathon is it is it new york so, no it's not definitely not <laughs> well none of them are i suppose but that's a, a <laughs> tricky one i mean now you're coaching um i mean are you still running are you still, have you got running aspirations or are they more I still yeah I'm, I'm still running a bit um i cycle a lot more now that i've moved up here um i do still do still run i want to get back to doing a bit more running um right. The, pan the pandemic has obviously curtailed a lot of things for a lot of people. Uh, for me, with my conditions, um, getting an infection is not a good idea. So obviously, yeah. pre-vaccinations uh, pre and that, um, you know, I was, I was effectively shielding. Um, the same, same as a lot of people were. Um, once I'd had the vaccinations, you know, you feel a little bit more confident. But my, my head... I always describe my head as a bit of a delicate ecosystem. <laughs> so you've got to have one little thing go wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. And all hell break and all hell can break loose. Yeah. So I have to be really careful. And you know, now we've we've got supposedly a lesser 
um, form of corona being the dominant one in terms of the Omicron. But mm. and a lot of people are, you know, just getting in. It's just like a cold. And I work with guys who have had it, and you know, yeah. it's it's hardly touched them. Um, you know, problem with me is I don't know what it's going to do. <laughs> Um, is it? Yeah. So I'd rather, I'd rather I'd rather not get it. And are you, um, are you still being particularly cautious then, given that now that, without wishing to get into politics, there seems to have been a bit of a, almost like we're into an experimental phase now, and we're all the guinea pigs in terms of yeah turning all the restrictions yeah, off. Yeah, I just I just rather I I still I haven't been in a shop since the beginning of March 2020. Mm. I literally haven't been in a shop since the beginning of March 2020. Um, mm. I take a lot of precautions at work. I'm still wearing masks. There are still some of the older guys who are still wearing masks at work, so I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people just seem to think this thing's over. And for a lot of people, it is. And for a lot of people, it's been an inconvenience. Um, but for a lot of people like myself, where you don't, you just don't know how it's going to affect you, yeah. Um, I mean, my, I don't strain into it too much, but it's not over for us until it's over for all of us, really. Exactly. Uh, anyone yeah. can transmit it. I, I find that idea that people are thinking it's over is a little mm-hmm. bit deleted, but it is what it is, and people are different. But yeah, I'm comfortable outside now. So, you know, I'll come and I'm teaching at the track now and, and, and that up at Churchill. So I'm comfortable in an outdoor outdoor setting but uh if anybody sees me or well the clubhouse is shut now isn't it for refurbishment but if anyone saw me in the clubhouse I'd, they'd see me and i'd be putting my mask on so uh so until it all calms down a little bit then um you know it could turn out that i've had worse colds same as most 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 of the people yeah. you don't know do you but yeah but, um but yeah it's 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 one of those things i think um i'm just i'm just uh, uh quite cautious about uh about things at the moment until uh until it all settles, until it all settles down again. Well, considering everything that's happened, I mean, it's fair to say that your judgment in terms of how to handle all of this, when to push and when not to, and, and all of that has been astonishing, given what you've been able to achieve and how you've, you know, you've you've held yourself throughout. I think that's helped me from a coaching point of view as well. Really? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, because it's that understanding of, of people. Mm. Um, I... My, you can learn everything you learn on courses in terms of coaching but for me it's a very psychological psychological thing the connection between athlete and and, and coach is a, is is a very um they you know it's called the athlete coach relationship but it's understanding that for me i've always described coaching the the trick behind coaching is to get into an athlete's head rearrange it so that they perform how they want to perform and get back out without them knowing that you've actually been in there yeah yeah i mean i i do a lot of work around helping people to change how they look at the system that they operate in in in, in service environments and in public sector and that requires quite a lot of un, what i would call it unlearning um, yeah, you can't learn until you've unlearned a bunch of things that you thought were okay but aren't, and and it's about helping people to to go through a process rather than just telling them the answer because that doesn't. Answers. Yeah. Um, so there's a definite similarity there in terms of the business side of that which I do and the, the athletic side of it which you do. Um, mm. And I think I think it's a confidence. I, I think it's a confidence. 
I was gonna say I think it's a, I think it's a, I always I always want an athlete to go away feeling confident. Yeah. Um, so I was coaching on Thursday night, um, and the girl that I was coaching, she's got another uh, coach, and he he sets her plans. Um, but he's based down in Reading. Right. Um, whereas she's up here and I'm up here. Yeah. Um, so I kind of see the plans and we might I might tweak them with her and, and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but it, it, she, she'd come off the back of a she'd come off the back of a cold and um, she had they had two they she'd been given two plans. One was one was 15 by 400. Nice. Uh, or 400, 400 by 15, shall I say? Um, which is a hard session. Yeah. 400 job recovery in between the other one was a the other one was a pyramid so two four six eight okay and then back down again um and the rest were shorter on that but obviously the session is shorter and she's come into it she's come off the back of the cold she's come in and i've looked and she's gone not too sure i want to do the want to do the the 400s and not confident and i think the trick with coaching is to look at that and go well if the athlete's not going into the session confident then are they going to achieve or get out of the session what they want to get out um so we did the pyramid mm. and she exceeded times on the pyramid that the other coach had actually set mm. and she's gone away massively confident and gone into the weekend and actually you know this weekend she's she's done all the sessions and everything so i think from a coaching point of view it's i've had to learn to adapt right the way through my life yeah and i think from a coaching point of view it's understanding that not everything is set in stone and that you you can adapt to what people need to get out of to get out of sessions some people's progress is slow some people's progress is faster but mm. but teaching ability which i mean this is this there's a whole different topic about the, the crossover between athletics running you know in life but <clears throat> teaching the ability to adapt and still prosper is is massive isn't it and uh, yeah you know, it can get in your head and if you fixated about things rather than adaptable and you know things vary but if your plan doesn't then um, you can end up in a fairly raw place mentally. And I see that a lot with runners, people who set themselves quite arbitrary um, targets on ar arbitrary times, um, but don't adjust because life gets in the way or whatever. Um, it, it, it really affects your relationship with running. You must see that as a coach. I feel that as a runner since I've been running for, I'm not vastly experienced, probably about 20 years, but never at a particularly high level. But even so, <clears throat> your relationship, with running can be really bad sometimes. And I've reflected on that and thought it tends to be when I've set myself a target that's quite arbitrary, usually because somebody else has done something and I think I should be able to do that. Or I read something or I saw something and I pick a time and I pick a date and I just assume that that's going to work. And without paying any attention to the things that happen, you know, between those points. And if that's illness, busy at work, lots to do with the kids, whatever it might be, then I've learned now as an older runner to adapt my thinking without feeling like I'm copying out. So you got to, you know, it's about how do you strike that balance between adaptability and ambition? And I think that's the quite a hard one, a hard one sort of balance. If you're helping people to learn to adapt rather than just forcing them through sessions, then that's got to be good for them as people, hasn't it? Not just as, as yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think there's there's there's, there's two things um, that I've I've kind of learned along the way, and I've I've had to learn through life through the through the medical side and that and that sort of thing, and 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 that is don't compare yourself to anybody else. Everybody's everybody's a completely individual person. Yeah. So what what somebody else achieves, you know, you want to go on to achieve that. Take your own path. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, don't don't just blindly try and try and follow something else because that changes you as a person yeah um but for the negative rather than for the positive um so i think i think really you know don't compare yourself to anybody else um and the other thing is that um uh basically you don't want to uh how do i phrase this how do i phrase this um don't i've never i've never cared right away from all those revelations when i was 12 years old which probably makes me seem quite stubborn um but i've never cared what anybody else has thought about me mm. and i think a lot of people can get caught up in that side of thing in life and in and in running you know you go and do something you don't achieve what you you, you, you set out to do and it puts you in a negative headspace or somebody yeah. says oh I don't, don't think I don't think I, you know, <clears throat> I wasn't expecting that I was expecting you to go and absolutely storm it you know what happened it, you it, know and sometimes you haven't got the answers to that yeah I mean I don't mind telling you Stuart I've been there reasonably recently I you know I set myself up a big target um uh for the, for January to do the the, the the winter spine race and failed because I got ill uh, the first checkpoint yeah. fell out and um I, i'd done the race before in the summer a couple of times and was really sort of thinking well i'm capable of this i can do the distance and and i'm carrying a bit more gear this time but i think i'm fitter and certainly stronger maybe not faster but definitely stronger physically and i thought i'd done the prep or i had done the prep and i stood on that start line absolutely confident that it would be hard but i would finish and just one checkpoint in I had to pull out the race because I was throwing up and passing out and I just had a bump. Oh, God. And the medics were saying, you know, I was 48 miles into a 260-mile race and um, thinking, well, that's it then, isn't it? I've only been going 14 hours or whatever it was and I'm out. What's all that? And I felt I was embarrassed and somebody said to me, for God's sake, don't be embarrassed because that that's more about other people's feelings. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that, that was nice to hear. Um, but I think if you're helping people with that then you're not just coaching them aren't you in terms of in terms of their running you're helping them as people and i think with all your what you've been through um the, the, that comes from a really a place of massive credibility and authenticity so it's great for the rest of us that you've ended up in coaching i think so not i'm not suggesting that it must have been all worth it for you having gone through all of that but given that you have i think it's left it's, it's left you and an awful lot of other people in a good place. So uh, it's it's where you've ended up, you know, with all that sort of not just the knowledge of coaching and running and athletics, but your life experience. I mean, gosh, that's got a what a, what a use to put it to, really, the fact that it's going to benefit other people and your advice. Gosh, I think that, that certainly resonates with me. And um, I imagine it's going to resonate with the list, the listeners. So I think that's probably a really good place to end it. Um, yeah. So 
thanks Stuart thank you so much for your time right, thank you and uh, it's been I've been I've made loads of notes so I can try and re record a, an introduction worthy of the interview I might not actually bother because I think it's just such a it's been such a compelling conversation um that I, I just want to put it out there so but thank you very much I really appreciate it and it's been it's been a pleasure to talk to you fantastic good to talk to you so